I'm Tina Tang, an equities trader turned jewelry designer turned strength coach for women over 40. This podcast is my survival guide to health over 40, where I'll share things I wish my mom had told me, and where I'll interview experts to give us guidance about aging well. Check in every week for my newest episode. Hi friends, a short announcement before this episode starts. Twice a year, I open up my Master Your Body Coaching Mentorship. The mentorship is three months of high-level coaching for women over 40 who know they need to either start or restart strength training and dial back into their health with a female coach, that's me, who not only understands this time of life, but will work directly with her to design individual strength workouts keeping her accountable to what she wants to accomplish together with me. I'm opening up three slots to start in May of 2023. If you'd like to apply, the link is in my show notes or head to my website, ironstrongfitness.net. Thanks for listening and on to the episode. Today, we'll be talking with my fitness partner, coach Michelle Farrell, who is also a nutrition coach. And we'll be talking about what to focus on during this midlife transition and beyond, especially when it comes to nutrition. Michelle, can you tell us a little bit more uh, about your background and how you maybe even got into nutrition coaching? Sure. First, um, I'm so excited to be on your podcast. I'm so excited for your podcast to be coming to life. Congratulations. Very exciting. But yeah, um, my name is Michelle Farrell. I am a certified personal trainer. I am a 200-hour Yoga Alliance certified yoga instructor and a certified nutrition coach through NASM and through um, Precision Nutrition. And I primarily work with folks through a non-diet lens, um, meaning more weight neutral, more size inclusive. Um, I do have folks who come to me who weight loss is initially a goal for them. However, we work together through um, progressing through strength training and or foundational nutritional habits that really make us feel good, um, taking the, the pressure and the focus off of weight loss or necessarily aesthetic change, more so because of so much focus, especially for women, is on weight loss. And we, especially as women over 40, can have a hard time thinking about the purpose of good nutrition and the purpose of fitness for anything other than shrinking ourselves down. So it really, um, even though it's hard work to do for folks, it's really rewarding work to be there to support folks with kind of making that shift from thinking about fitness and nutrition as being something simply to lose weight to being so much more than that. That's exactly why I wanted to have you on and to talk about or give people guidance on what to eat. Because during these years in late 40s, early 50s, where I think a lot of people, a lot of women may be gaining weight in relation to hormonal changes or just lifestyle changes as you just get more advanced in your career and busier with your family life. And for some women, it might seem a little scary or it just seems like it comes out of the blue. And then the sudden reaction for a lot of people, which I understand because even I've reacted this way when I was younger, is, oh my God, I need to lose this weight. But uh, you and I both believe in the idea of shifting the 
focus of why is that scale number matter? Doesn't what's happening in your body and your heart and your energy levels matter more? But you don't need to focus on that to to change the the health, you know, your health. So I'm going to go into specific questions. For example, what should every person be including in their meals when they eat? Because I know it sounds basic, but it's helpful to know, have a basic guideline, like every time I eat, I should have this. Sure. So it can be challenging because we oftentimes have spent much of our life following very structured rules about food, where we have lost touch even with what we might even actually really like where we might even think that we like certain food items or a way something is prepared because or not liking something because it didn't fit into some diet that we were on at some point. So throughout our lives, for many of us, for many women, for many women over 40, we have all of these diet rules that we have internalized throughout our life. Make sure you eat breakfast. It's the most important day meal of the day. But make sure you're intermittent fasting, so don't eat that breakfast before noontime, right? And so many of these rules actually contradict each other that it becomes very overwhelming and very confusing. So in the, like the other pendulum of all of these diet rules is more of that intuitive eating, mindful eating, and they're almost like a 180 away from each other because you have all of these rules. And even though intuitive eating also has guidelines, um, it can feel like way too free for some and unstructured for somebody who's coming from dieting. So trying to make that bridge, I think that it is really important to talk about what does a meal that's going to be nourishing and satisfying look like. So I love this question. So without making it super rule-based, but more of a framework, thinking about having something that is protein-based, so lean meats, meat products, seafood, dairy products, some plants, beans, legumes, right? Protein, carbohydrate, produce, and then something that kind of ties it all together and makes it really yummy. So usually that falls into some sort of fat, right? Um, And that's not to say that protein can't be yummy and that carbs can't be yummy, but fats usually just kind of bring everything together. Kind of like how you were Mm -hmm. talking about avocado, right? You love having avocados in your salad, because yeah. that mouthfeel, it really just makes it, brings that salad together for you. It makes um, it feel more, when I've not had it, it feel, uh, the salad uh, feels more like a skeletal salad. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, um, the avocado is like the phasia for you. <laughs> yeah. So, or you can think, about, I remember having mayonnaise for the first time in my life because we, mm-hmm. we didn't grow up with that. Mayonnaise mayonnaise is that lubricant in the sandwich that just makes it delicious. (laughs) It really does. It really does. And so, yeah, so when you are building your meals, when you're menu planning for yourself and for your family for the week, trying to think about that meal, and it doesn't have to be all separate items. If you are somebody who loves stews, who loves casseroles, who loves stir fries, who loves anything like that, but like a one pot meal, all of these items can be incorporated into these one pot meals. Um, but trying to think about having that protein, having that carbohydrate, having some produce, so a fruit or vegetable, and then something, a fat that kind of ties everything together. How much protein to include in every meal for it to be beneficial for our health? Sure. So I would say that many women are probably 
eating an adequate amount of protein. Most Americans are not deficient in protein. However, um, especially if you are working out on a regular basis, if you are active, if you're running around after kids, if you are strength training, if you are a runner, um, all of these things, you may not be getting an optimal amount of protein to help you maintain and build muscle mass that is so critical for us as we age. And um, you're right, there is a formula and there is a range. So typically we want to say that active folks um, over 40 want to be falling in the 1.8 to 2.2-ish grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. For some of us, that number can look so huge and so overwhelming, especially depending on how much protein we're getting in now. So it's really important for this to also be kind of individualized because you might be somebody who's already, for lack of a better term, more like intuitively eating enough protein. But unless I'm working with you one-on-one, I'm not going to necessarily know that, right? So instead of worrying about weighing and measuring and you know, making sure everything fits into like a macro count, thinking about just trying to eat 15 to 20 grams of protein at each meal or snack throughout the day. And if you are somebody who likes dairy, this could be something like a serving, um, I think it's three fourths of a cup of um, Greek yogurt would be protein. Um, for a meal, four to five ounces of chicken or fish or steak um, would be an adequate amount of protein for a meal or a snack. Um, that size, I, I was remember, is three to four ounces just for people to have a visual idea. Mm. Is that your the palm of your hand? Yeah, it's the size maybe- the the size of your palm and the thickness of your palm. So it's like actually doesn't seem like that much um, because most people, your portion sizes are likely to be a little bit larger than that. So Mm -hmm. if you are a meat eater and you eat meat at multiple meals or even one meal, you're probably hitting your protein target for that meal. So don't really stress about that. That's helpful. I think it's also for breakfast, that might be a uh, a good place to give some examples. Protein is easy to fit in, you know, for a dinner, like if you're, if you are a meat eater, what are, besides yogurt, what are other ways people can fit in protein in breakfast? Sure. What I, I will give an, I'm not big on what I eat in a day sort of things, but as an example, mm-hmm. I have a serving of oatmeal and I put some vanilla protein powder in the oatmeal. Mm-hmm. I mix it up with some berries or some nuts or whatever I'm feeling like that day. And that helps bolster the oatmeal for me. Um, So depending on the protein powder that you might be using, that would be 15 to 25-ish grams of protein, in addition to the plant-based protein from the oatmeal, um, because oatmeal does have protein in it. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Yogurt, cottage cheese is great for breakfast. If you want to have an egg sandwich, there's lots of breads out there that for two slices of bread, you're getting six to eight grams of protein. Um, so if you just look at the nutrition lab- label, you can see how many grams of protein you'd be getting from two slices of bread, usually a whole grain or seed-based bread. And adding in two eggs, two large eggs is going to give you 14 grams of protein plus the six mm-hmm. from the bread that gives you 20 grams of protein. If you throw a slice of cheese on there, depending on the type of cheese, that's another three to six grams of protein, sometimes eight, depending on the cheese. I think, I think it's to back up a second. I think it's also important to note that 
when we're talking about macronutrients, when we're talking about carbohydrates, proteins, fats, we're talking about how we're categorizing foods based on the macronutrient that is most prevalent in that food. Most foods, and when we think about foods as a whole, um, contain more than just one type of macronutrient. So black beans have carbohydrates and protein in them. Cheese has fats and protein in it. Breads can have protein and carbohydrates in them. So when we're thinking about adding protein in, we can make some decisions about the other foods that we're adding if we're just being protein conscious uh, when we buy a bread or we want to add some beans or like chickpeas or something like that to our salad. Those things are also going to give us carbohydrates, but they're also going to bolster the protein count for that meal. That's helpful. For those who are there's words you also, again, hear a lot in social mm-hmm. media, especially the the macro diet. Could you break down actually what you mean by the word macronutrients mm-hmm. and micronutrients sure. so people understand what when they when that diet macros, what they're really referring to? Yep. So when we eat food, our food takes our food, our body takes energy from the food, and it also gives us nutrients and minerals that helps our body run. Micronutrients literally means small nutrients. It's what our body needs in small amounts to keep us running. Macronutrients, big nutrients, is just what our body needs in large amounts to keep us running. So micronutrients would be things like vitamins, minerals, right? Macronutrients Mm -hmm. are proteins, which help our bodies rebuild, recover, build muscle, also with some hormone stuff, right? Fats also are helpful for our hormones and carbohydrates are the energy givers. They, while our body can get energy from fats, it really loves getting energy from carbohydrates. And it is, that's the most efficient energy giver for us. And when we are deficient in carbohydrates, our body has to work harder to convert fats into energy for us to run well, especially our brains. Our brains only run on carbohydrates. So when we are not getting enough carbohydrate in our body or we're using carbohydrates in a higher amount, like during a really high intense uh, run or spin class or Zumba class or strength training session, if we're deficient in carbs, that's how we can kind of get sometimes that like brain fog feeling because our brains need the carbohydrates to help us think well and operate well. That's helpful. I think the the word carbohydrates gets a bad rap because mm-hmm. even in the was like 80s and 90s, everything was about low carb diets being better for you. Mm-hmm. And people assume that cutting carbs out is better for them. And so what you're telling us is carbohydrates are an essential nutrient for our body, especially our brains, to run. Mm-hmm. Um, could you also explain why we place such a big focus on protein intake in relation to the, the fact that our bodies can't create protein? Sure. So our body needs proteins to rebuild and recover and maintain muscle mass. I think most specifically for folks who are probably listening today, if you are strength training or thinking about strength training or doing other activities, and as we get older, we start to lose muscle. So it's harder to build and maintain muscle as we get older because 
our body is also depleting muscle. So we want to have enough protein to be adequately recovering our muscles. Our, so when we work out, right, we have little micro tears in our muscles. And when we rest and recover and replenish through protein, we're helping those muscles repair and recover so that they get bigger and stronger. And if we don't have enough protein, our muscles are going to have a harder time recovering. So we're less likely to build or maintain strength and and muscle size, which is what we really want as we get older. Um, and the carbohydrates come in. If we have enough carbohydrate to replenish our energy, especially after intense or moderate intense activity, then our proteins that we took in can then get like can do exactly what they need to do. And that's like the real simplified without getting into... It's fantastic. When you're coaching someone who is thinking about their focus is weight loss, mm-hmm. but in the bigger picture, you might see what they what will be ben- more beneficial for their health is just changing the way they eat in order to support their body for all the activities they want. I think I'm basically asking like how how we shift that that prioritization of scale versus health. Sure. When it comes to nutrition. Sure. And it's complicated, right? The because our emotions are so heavily tied into our ideas of what we think an ideal body is. Many folks have this idea of like what a number on the scale is and that number has like a big meaning for you. And those feelings are super valid. We have been brought up and we live in a society that covets a certain ideal body type. We can go our entire lives of trying to get ourselves to what that ideal quote unquote body we think we're supposed to look like. And for many of us, that ideal is not necessarily realistic Um, Because nature is really cool and there's diversity in nature. We're part of nature. There is diversity in our bodies, right? I'm never going to be five foot two and I'm never going to be 105 pounds. Like that's, you know, just not realistic for me. But when we are thinking about the number on the scale and when we're thinking about that number that we want to be at, Taking a second to really think about like what is what is that number mean? What what is the the value behind that number? Why does it mean so much to me? And what am I willing to do to get to that number? Because very often, especially over the age of 40, that might be a number that is in our head from when we were freshmen in high school, or from yeah. before we had babies, or from before we had X, Y, a hip replacement or like whatever. Right. And it might also be another example. um, Mm. Cause I remember I had a client who said I used to be 10 pounds lighter and this is when she, she was an adult, but uh, she wasn't working. She had like a year long sabbatical. She would go to the gym for a couple hours a day and there were no other stresses in her life. Mm -hmm. So she wanted to go back to that weight. But at that time in her life, so many things were different, like not having a, uh, not working and not having to stress about work and being able to go to the gym for two hours allowed her to be that 10 pounds lighter. But is that the reality of life today? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so many things change. And 
thinking about the value of that number, our why behind that number, what would need to happen in order to be at that number. Now, to kind of circle back, to lose weight, you are going to start doing certain habits. You're going to change the way you eat. You're going to change the way you move. You're going to hopefully work on sleep, stress levels, things like that. My question to folks is, what if you just tried putting the number on the scale out of, out of thought for now and instead focused on the behaviors that are health-promoting that you can control rather than the number on the scale that is not always within our control because we fluctuate every single day. We go up, we go down, we stay the same. Sometimes we can feel like we're doing, quote unquote, all the right things to be losing weight, but our body's like, you know what? I'm really happy where I am right now. Why aren't you happy here? You know, outside of folks who are training for sports like athletics or a physique or bikini competition or bodybuilding competition, right? The amount of manipulation that has to go into your diet and fitness is not necessarily something that most folks for overall wellness really need to do or are actually willing to do to make those sacrifices for those like more extreme body changes. But yet at the same time, the fitness industry then takes the types of diets and fitness programs that those higher level, more specific type athletes, competitors are doing and then tries to say, this is what you should be doing too without having the conversation that you're going to need to go for a five mile walk every day. You're going to need to be lifting weights every day in certain splits. You're going to have to be really like hyper-focused on what you're eating every day. And nobody really talks about that. Those types of programs or when they are done, aren't meant to be done forever. They're not meant to be sustainable. They weren't designed to be sustainable. They're designed to be done for a certain period of time for that competition and then to have like a recovery kind of cycle, a recovery period. So even when you have people who are fitness models, right, they're following a program to get to a certain aesthetic and then they're cycling off, usually going the like serious weight cycling, which is not Mm -hmm. necessarily very healthy. So when we're thinking about health promoting behaviors and weight loss promoting behaviors, sometimes they're one and the same, but just because we're losing weight doesn't mean that it's the healthiest us or that it's the healthiest behaviors, right? Yeah. We could actually be unwell physically, mentally, socially, emotionally to try to achieve a certain weight. So when we try to like separate that all out and unpack it, that's where we can get to. And that's not to say that all weight loss is like bad or something that we shouldn't want to do. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's just what if instead of just like taking a chance, what happens if you walk a little more, if you do two strength training workouts a week and go to that spin class you love? What if you are getting better, you're going to bed a little bit earlier at night and getting a good night's sleep? How would that make you feel? And does it really matter if the weight on the scale changed at all? Like, right? Mm -hmm. An interesting perspective. 
as someone approaches, let's just say they notice in the past like five years, they put on 10 pounds and then suddenly it feels like I want to be where I was 10 years ago. And everything feels scary because it feels like the weight came on all of a sudden. And then it feels like you can't, that it's just going to, I think the biggest fear is that I'm just going to keep getting bigger and bigger, and bigger. Like there's this no level of control that, and it's helpful to think of the approach that you're saying is instead of focusing on the scale, you're just trying to change because certain habits brought us there. It was not, I don't think anything really just happened overnight. Like uh, when we get through middle age, there are lifestyle changes. We don't look like we did when we were in college because in college we didn't have as much stress. Well, we thought we were stressed, <laughs> but all we had to do was study for a test and uh, just make it through the four years, which is not the same as having a mortgage or taking care of two, two kids or navigating a whatever, 15-year marriage. There's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, different kind of stresses. And and the simple fat matter of fact is that uh, when we get older, our bodies are just different. Our bodies mm-hmm. are not, your, your body at 20 is not the same as when you're a 10. Your body at 50 is not the same as it right. was when it's 30. It's accepting also that there's, you're in a different stage of your life. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, it's also important to ask, why are we scared of mm-hmm. being heavier? Why are we scared of living in a larger body? What, what, what is it about that larger body that's scarier to us? And I think for a lot of people, it comes down to that we have been taught that it's not that people in larger bodies, there are certain personality traits that have been put on people in fat bodies and large bodies, certain connotations as, you know, they are. They must um, only eat "quote unquote" junk food. They must never do any exercise that's good for them. They must. They're slovenly. They're lazy, right? And mm-hmm. that's really. It, we live in a fat phobic society that believes that bigger bodies are not worthy of respect, of humanity, of appreciation. Are they're not attractive, right? So when we also try to unpack like that more systemic level that has then trickled down into the individual level about how we feel about our bodies and why are we scared? Why Mm. does that extra 10 pounds mean so much? In thinking about that, can you go over, I'll just pick the number three, three different strategies that you use for mindset shifts or three different focuses that you use with clients to help them change the scale focus to more of a a longer-term lifestyle health focus? Mm -hmm. Um, The first thing is typically them hiding the scale. Like, just put it away. Put it away if you haven't already done that. Um, Especially if you are somebody who that scale is dictating how you feel about yourself every day. So that's usually the first thing for many people. I do believe that eventually... If the scale has control over you like that, there is then some work that you're going to have to do so that it's not such a scary thing because then it still has power over you, right? So it might just be a short amount of time that you put the scale away, but if it's really dictating how you feel and then it's like influencing you to restrict and then feel shitty about yourself, then just put it away. Like it's Mm -hmm. not necessary. The second thing would be to practice some more body neutral 
like affirmations about your body when you're having moments when you don't like how you feel, you don't like how you look, you don't like how your clothes are fitting. So let's say you put on a pair of pants and they fit you last summer, like we're transitioning into spring and summer, right? So maybe you put on a pair of shorts that last summer fit and now they're really snug or maybe they don't zipper up and you say, damn, my body's so gross. I feel disgusting. I can't believe I look like this. I can't believe these don't fit, right? Taking When you find yourself saying these things, stopping and saying, these pants are too tight. My body is protecting my organs. I, my legs carry me from my day-to-day activities. I, my body just birthed a child, like whatever it is, right? Like my body's keeping me safe. Something that's not necessarily, I think people can think about body positivity as having to like love your body all the time. And it's not necessarily about that. Like, yes, it would be great if we all loved our bodies all the time and everything they do, but that's really unrealistic. So being able to come to more of a neutral appreciation for our bodies can actually be a much more realistic mindset shift for our relationship with our bodies. And the other thing is to really take a step back from big giant overhauls of our diets and fitness. If you are currently doing no workouts, it is not realistic for it to be sustainable for you to now do five days of 60-minute workouts. So starting small, keeping it basic. We also have this idea that like things have to be so complex, and we love, as human beings, we love the the rules and the structure and the complexity. And if it's a super fancy diet or fitness program, then it must be the one. And then it keeps us occupied, right? And it keeps us, but eventually it's like, fuck it. Like, like, what am I doing? Um, And then we fall off the wagon, quote unquote, and then we swing the other way. This is why these types of plans aren't sustainable. So getting rid of the scale, even if it's only momentarily, trying to take the value off of that so it's not dictating our moods, finding ways to come to a place of neutralness about our bodies, mm-hmm. and um, trying to keep it as basic and as simple as possible with real micro, like real mm-hmm. micro goals that mm-hmm. once like one nutritional habit at a time, once we feel yeah. really confident, it's almost second nature, then we add something else in. And then the cumulative effect of that on top of everything. And again, this might result in weight loss. It also might not. Right. It also but might not. But you're, uh, but the bigger change is your perspective and how you treat yourself. Exactly. Which is more of a long, uh, which is, has more longevity than what's on the scale. I can write somebody. And first of all, as a personal trainer and nutrition coach in the state of Massachusetts, I am not actually legally able to write a meal plan for somebody. So if there's a coach out there who's giving you like very structured what you should eat and what you should not eat, like in a meal plan, Mm -hmm. that's, they're probably not in their scope of practice, but I could help most people lose weight. And I feel very strongly that it's, just so much more empowering. There's just so much more to us. There's so much more for women. There's so much more for women over 40 out there than losing weight. 
There, we are capable yeah. of so many amazing things. Our bodies are capable of so many amazing things. That's so much better than weight loss. And I understand that this is a really valid concern for many people um, because we grew up thinking that was our purpose. Our purpose is to be a certain body shape and size so that we are very attractive to the male gaze to, you know, right. My purpose in life is not to be attractive for men, right? Yeah. Your, yep, that your too. purpose in life is not to mm -hmm. be attractive for men. We're worth mm -hmm. so much more than that. And again, that's yep. like layers to unpack. Like there's so many yep. pieces to it. And that's, again, it's a long game. It's, it's not, there's so much unlearning to do while we are also learning. So that's where mm -hmm. individualized coaching can be really useful because a lot of it is sometimes just having somebody to talk to and talk through these feelings while you're trying Outside to of yourself. Yeah. while you're trying to break up with dieting because a lot of people know mm -hmm. like there's got to be something better than this there's got to be something better than like tracking every single thing i put in my mouth and every time i move my body like there has to be something more than my life just being this giant math equation, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Constantly counting calories, mm. counting macros, counting yeah. exactly. And then it's and then it alters your perspective of food. It actually it makes does. food yeah, that's a whole nother topic of making putting food on pedestals and no longer mm -hmm. uh, enjoying food the way the way most cultures enjoy it. Exactly. Thank you, Coach Michelle. Where can uh, where can people find you? Sure. So um, I am on the gram at underscore Michelle underscore Farrell, as well as at straight up strong at straight underscore up underscore strong, where you can also find Tina. Um, you can also find me at Michelle Farrell coaching.com. And you can email me at Michelle Farrell coaching at gmail.com. No, Michelle at Michelle Farrell coaching <laughs> at gmail.com. I'll put that, I'll put that on the show notes. And Great. thank you so much for your thoughtful insight on nutrition and weight loss. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe. You can also find me on my website, ironstrongfitness.net or follow me on Instagram at Iron Strong Fit. See you at the next episode.